Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts in the driver's seat today. Riding shotgun, of course, is, as per usual, Covert Go Blue. And special guest today, sprawled across the back seat, making faces in the rearview mirror, listening to his own jams because he DGAF. It is Daniel Terrence Law. How are you doing today, Danny T. Law? I'm doing really well. That is what I call an introduction. Wow. <laughs> I, I've never quite known what the T stood for. I figured that was your middle name, but I don't really know. Nope. <laughs> Wait, so is it or isn't it Terrence? <laughs> no, it is actually not. My, my middle name is uh, starts actually with C. Okay. It's Chris, but uh, this one is uh, from... So T-Law comes originally from an anime I watched since I'm a kid, which is One Piece. I mean, that's uh, probably wide known, right? Uh, that's the show I keep watching until now, and there's that character I like, and then I was like, T-Law, the law, kind of sounds cool in general, and because it's like, you are the law, and then I was like, I, I go with it, I go with it. And now I'm Danny T. <laughs> Love it. Well, well, it, you'll always be Terrence in my heart, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Danny. You're, uh, I think this might be your third time on the show. I feel like we've had this habit of CGB and I will be getting into a new format and we'll kind of give it like a first step and then we'll bring you in when it's kind of like the format is evolving. And I feel like, you know, Danny, you're someone who I feel like is often on the cutting edge of formats, especially in new formats. You're often doing a lot of brewing. Each season, I feel like you come up with at least a handful of decks that are like really viable that set some trends on the ladder. So I just wanted to check in and get your that, opinions. That, that, that's all. That's all very interesting, but that's that's not why I've got him on here. <laughs> okay. That's not why I brought Danny onto the show. Danny, very serious question for you. Mm-hmm. Where's my money? Let me explain. Let me explain. <laughs> We bat, uh, since the last time we had Danny on the show, he and I actually battled in a tournament in the mm. LFM sh- showdown tournament. True. Uh, a, a tr- I, I managed to win a very yep. interesting match, and then I went on to win my side of the bracket for that tournament, which was valued at $500. So, True. organizer payment people are like, you know, where do we send the money? And I sent them a whole bunch of info, like my name, email, and that. And I didn't actually follow up. I, I, I just sent the stuff. And then uh, recently I was contacted by them about an opportunity to cast a tournament, which is coming up next weekend. Hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. Did I ever get paid for that tournament? <laughs> for, did I ever get that $500 I won? So I checked my records, and no, I did not. So I took this opportunity to bring up with them that I had not been paid. And you know what they said? Because my email starts with D-A-N and my name is D-A-N-I-E-L, they just looked at it and they sent the money to you. They sent me, they sent me only a hundred. Not only that, they told me after I brought it up that they did it again, that they they sent you money again. (laughs) So Danny, the question is, where's my money? Uh, I let you didn't get any money, <laughs> which is even better. I got I, I because I also was way too late asking them, 
and never got my money. I had I wrote this around two or three weeks ago that I want my hundred, right? Because I mean I'm not as good as you, so I didn't go as far as you. So I, I, I it was like three weeks ago that I wrote them, like with the thing, okay. and then they sent me a hundred. That's then all I pl- got. <laughs> the plot thickens. Yeah, there is Shall another. But there is another Dan or Daniel who got our money. <laughs> but I will definitely check now. I will definitely check now. But I'm 100% sure I only got that because I really just I really just used it once. I sent the invoice, you know, and then I got the 100. I don't know. You're I have played Among Us with you and you're sounding a little sus with your story. <laughs> <laughs> not I'm not quite into this alibi, but that's why we that's why I was like very pro get Danny on the show cuz I want to call you out right here cuz I want the money. <laughs> Well, I, I, I am sorry. I really didn't get it. But I will definitely double check because I don't check that stuff usually. But yeah. All right. I, I'm down for talking magic now, but I'm still <laughs> I still find this a little sus. We've settled out. We've settled out. All right. Well, uh, before we get into our main topic here, I just wanted to cover a few fun little things. First of all, um, I, just, I, I forgot to mention this on previous podcasts, but I put out the broadcast on the Twitter... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was basically like, yo, MTG Arena software trackers, of which there are a number, I tagged a number of them in the post, and I was like, does anyone have a tool for comparing deck lists? Because I was having this issue, right? I was like, I was going deep on Saltai Ultimatum, and I was just, I was like knee deep in these deck lists, and I was looking for a way to just like have an easier way of tracking this. So I, so I put out the call, and one of the developers, or I don't know who it was, but the MTG Arena Pro account responded, and they were just like, oh, cool, we just made that for you. Just It was <laughs> like within 24 hours, we were like, we just made it. And I was like, oh, holy crap. And I went and used it, and it was pretty good. And I gave them a few suggestions, and they implemented it like that weekend. So basically, I just, uh, first of all, I wanted to shout them out, MTG Arena Pro. It's a free app, and uh, it does a lot of stuff for you. It helps you, you know, track your uh, collection. They have some cool draft stuff. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a really fully featured thing, and I've used it before, and it's very good. But if you are in the situation I was in, where you're looking at a bunch of deck lists, and you want to just see the differences between them real quick... You can just go here. It's mtgarena.pro forward slash compare. I will put that link in the show notes. But I don't know. I thought that was pretty sweet, man. Uh, Arjuna, I've got to... Come on, man. We, we've, we've talked about this. You're not even getting sponsored. Like, they're supposed to pay you to say all this nice stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you, that's how this thing works. This is, this is the business money, money podcast. Welcome. <laughs> you know what, man? They built me software for free, so... I figure I could give him a little publicity for it. If I, if you knew how much I'd made off pitching deck trackers in the last year, you would you'd change your I'd tune. I change quickly. my tune right on. Oh. All right, so all right, MTG Arena Pro, where's my money? You owe me five hundred dollars. It's the Where's My Money podcast. I need also Where's My Money uh, thing now, but it's so funny that you mentioned this because in my uh, Patreon. Um, I had two people asking me if something like this exists, and there was really nothing. And then I went with a text comparison tool and just sent them a text comparison tool. This should work. <laughs> That's the only thing I found. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's really good, man. Like it'll it separates out the unique cards at the top, and then it lines up the same cards below, and then it highlights with the same cards the different numbers. 
So it's really cool. You get to see at the top, like, okay, this person's running a Seeker's Chariot, this person is not. And then down below, you get to see, like, two copies of Mystical Dispute, three copies of Mystical Dispute. So it's super handy. And you can do it for not just two. Like, you can line them all up. You can get a bunch of deck lists. So, yeah, it's a really, really cool feature. So I'm going to be using that moving forward. You know, we're really cool in the tool that you also get the percentage against what archetype per deck. So you can actually know, okay, this card made an influence in this matchup and this card made an in that's like what I would like to have. That's like that's like the next the level end game. Man. Yeah. Next level, yeah. Un untap GG or MTG Arena Pro if you're listening. Let's let's get that going on. Alright, uh next thing. So it's just a fun question, uh, Danny. We've been taking some listener questions and just answering them real quick. And I thought this one would be apropos, especially for CGB. So Audio Evil in our Discord community asks, what are your favorite commanders? These include Brawl, Historic Brawl, and Regular Commander, and why? So let, let's start with you, CGB, because I know you've been focusing on the commander format lately. What are you enjoying? Yeah, uh, and for anybody who doesn't know, I just started playing Commander in September of last year, and it has been really awesome, quite honestly. It's really broadened like how I see the Magic universe in general, and it's not nearly as... like I, I expect it to be a bit of an outcast, because I'm a bit of a tryhard who likes competitive play, and I didn't expect to fit in, but you actually do pretty big and powerful things and you can spike it up kind of as hard as you feel you need to my collection doesn't allow me to do like turn one combo kills or anything like that i wouldn't be good in competitive edh but by turn seven i'm usually doing busted stuff so let's see the commanders i've enjoyed the most this is this is gonna make everybody groan but it's it's just me so um omnath is a heck of a commander. Oh, come on, man. Oh, God, was that <laughs> fun! My first weekend of commander was just playing Omnath decks. And, uh, now, I, let, but let me I ask will you tell real you. quick, CGB, okay. sorry to interrupt, but before four-color Omnath was printed, three-color Omnath was actually like a pretty competitive house in commander. So we're talking about four-color, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Omnath Locus of Creation, the latest one. It, it was what I owned because I just had a bunch of packs of Zendikar Rising. Yeah. But, I mean, immediately, like, I changed my playgroup forever because I'm running, like, 50, 48 lands or, like, you know, land equivalents in my deck. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm just like, I'm never going to run out of stuff to do. It's Omnath. <laughs> I'm just going to play, like, insane stuff every turn. I, I Ulamog them on turn five. It was great. <laughs> stuff like this. Uh, so that was a that was just a ton of fun. My the one okay, uh, my latest one was Kozuma from the new set. That was really fun, and that that, that game often ended with me resolving like omniscience around turn seven or eight uh, after maybe a time walk or two, drawing my whole deck and winning with Thassa's Oracle. It was very very fun. Um, but the only commander I actually gave up on that I didn't have fun with. I had fun for a minute, and then I was like, this is horrible, I'm never doing this again, was actually Yorian. <laughs> Where I, I, I actually had, like, turn three Yorian and turn four Flickerwisp, and nobody ever interrupted me. So I was just taking, like, a whole turn on everybody's end step. And, I, like, <laughs> like, after two cycles around the table of this, I'm just miserable. I'm, I'm, my brain is fried. I just don't want to play anymore. It's like, get this deck away from me. I never want to do this ever again. It was horrible. 
<laughs> but in a in kind of a decisively broken way. So that's me. Yeah. How about you, Danny? Do you ever play Commander? Um, I did play Brawl, yeah. Um, Commander. I would like to get into it, but as I didn't play too much paper before, just like competitively. Um, never like in the EDH. Uh, I did play Highlander when I was like a kid, but there was no Commander in it back then. So it was just like a one-off deck. Um, in Brawl, I did like Bolas. Um, I really did like that card. I think that card is pretty good. The, the at Ravager? Least when I played. It, uh, no, it was the other one. The, the Planeswalker? The, Dragon the Planeswalker, God. yeah. yeah, That one. That one felt really good to play because it was basically just uh, I, I don't let you do anything deck. Um, I kind of liked it. CGP understands. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was like my my favorite experience with Brawl back then. That's awesome. Yeah, for me, uh, Commander slash Brawl is like the place where I enjoy sucking and building really awful decks. So I, like, I'm like I'm 0% interested in winning a game of Commander unless it's like in the most improbable way. Um, so for me, Commander is often just like piles of random cards and and then if I close it out, I feel like an absolute god. <laughs> so, um, so I've actually one of my favorite commander decks I built was a Nickel Ball as the Ravager deck, which was just heinous. It was just a really, really awful deck, um, but had like random dragon synergies. And uh, I like being that player who no one cares about, who then like wins the game. So that's a deck that I've enjoyed building. Uh, I, I built like a Samut deck as well. Just again, like some janky, try to play some flash creatures and kill your opponent with commander damage kind of deck. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, those formats exist because it helps me to lean away from my spikier side. When I play, you know, standard or, or draft or whatever, I'm usually fairly spiky. So I really enjoy these commandery formats, letting me just play ridiculously awful cards like Palladium Mir, one of my favorite magic cards. <laughs> CGV just shakes his head. Nobody's going to shock or bone crush it in Commander. Yep. Lucky you. Any any format in which Palladium Mirror is a card you'd consider putting in your deck is a, is a format I like. Uh, all right, cool. So, so we got that out of the way. If you want to ask one of these questions on the podcast, you can do so in our Discord channel. All right, so next up, uh, I just wanted to ask CGB, I know that you played a tournament this very day. And so I just wanted to get a check-in of, you know, how you did, how you're feeling about it, and any revelations you've had about the format as a result of playing in that. Sure. I played the Strixhaven Championship Qualifier today that you get into by being top 1200 Mythic in January. And I, w I wasn't sure what I was going to play, but basically I've when I do these events, it's not my usual content. I like best of one, and I like talking about formats. I don't usually like diving into the competitive pool. So usually I just make sure I play a deck that I like so that I can have fun and uh, feel good about it. And I was probably going to play either Blue-White, Nico, Archon, of Sun's Grace, or I was going to play the Sultai Ultimatum deck that Seth Manfield and the Checkhouse and Brad Nelson uh, registered for their MPL because it was designed for beating aggro. And then I woke up and I got to watch Crokies, about four rounds of Crokies, just smashing everything with Toski, Bearer of Secrets, this Naya showdown of the skulls, Toski adventures, 
pile with Clarion Spirit, and it was like, he was just, every time I looked up at the screen, he had three Clarion Spirits and two of the Sentinel, Giganta Sentinels, and he's making mana in a billion places and playing like 50 cards, and everything was just going so well, and he 7-0'd his run, and it looked really good. So I'm like, all right. I always kind of wanted to join the Danny T. Law, Crokey's uh, Syndicate, whatever it is going on there. I always kind of wanted to be in the club, but I was always playing Yorian. So today, I'll, today I'm going to jam this 7-0, because it might just be like ahead of what people are doing in the format. It, it certainly looked like it when he played it, <clears throat> for sure. So I registered the same list, and it just... I watched it back. I went 3-3. Three and three. I watched it back. I made two big mistakes that were definitely experience mistakes. And the rest of the event, I just don't think it was there for me. Um, first of all, I was on the draw in every match. I, was, I only played three games on the play the entire, uh, the entire event. And that's because I you know, lost and played a game three. So you would expect to lose one or two games, you know, one or two matches that way. That's just the way magic works. Um, I had three points in my th- six matches where off the top in the mid game, I ripped five lands in a row. That happened to me three times. Uh, so you would expect to lose one or two to that. So Did you ever just like showdown into four lands? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> That's so brutal. Yeah. I, I also Toski, I played Toski and I ripped five lands in a row off the attack. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that happen. And I'm sure I made some small mistakes that I didn't see. I did count two big mistakes that were experience mistakes. In hindsight, I'd go back and do them differently. But I'd... It just wasn't my day, I don't think. Yeah, I think sometimes you can run hot and you can also run cold, right? And that was probably one of the cold ones. There's not much you can do about it. That happens to everyone. Uh, No matter what deck you play, you can literally just flood or get screwed so many times in a row. So that definitely can happen. Yeah, and I didn't play white at all, which looked like a decent matchup, especially with Clarion Spirit. And... Like I said, every time I looked at Crokey's playing, he had like two or three Clarion Spirits. Same thing when I watched your streams, Danny. And I didn't even have a Clarion Spirit for like two matches, and I never had two on the field the whole event. So it's just things like that that make you think, yeah, I probably ran cold, to be honest. Yeah, and also sometimes what happens, if you're nice to a card, the deck is nice to you. And if you're nice to the Squirrel, the Squirrel is nice to you. Like... What are you saying? I've been so nice to that squirrel. I've said I've I've never called it unplayable. Not not once. <laughs> not once. I I even advocated on this show for not cutting it from the deck when Arjuna did. I was just going to say I've talked so much trash on the squirrel on this show and it has been gangbusters for me on the ladder. Toski's been my man. Come on. Come on. It's like the squirrel is the the hot girl and Arjuna's just being so mean to her and she's like, "But I I, I kind of like him. Kind of yeah. like, you know, and and I'm over here with my nice guy punch card, but I'm getting nowhere." Yeah. Not all are the same, you know? <laughs> you, you know who's never going to show up for me, though, is Coma World Serpent. Man, that, that serpent is just going to dunk on me in any deck I try to play it in. So I have my comeuppance coming at me. I mean, I have also cards. I have two cards that really hate me. One is Rob of the Rich. That card tilts me once a day, at least. At least. I know something um, about Robber. 
straight lands off the top or what? No, no, it's like, so whatever I need or whatever I don't want the opponent to get, this will happen. And that's like, I can't even call it and it will happen. Uh-huh. Like, it's literally like that. It's my most hated card. And recently I had to test, I tested against Crookies, like we, because he wanted to play Mono Red, we were like, okay, let's test nine games. And he was like, I only play Mono Red. I was like, God, I have to play nine times in a row against that robber. And then <laughs> I played with all the decks. And every time I saw that robber, he was, I knew he was like, then he will be happy now. And every time he just stole everything he can play off the top. And I was like, oh God. But yeah, but it was still fun to play, to test with him, even though he went for Tosky in the end. Rob is like medium against me, but whenever I play it, it's it's just lands off the top. That's that's all I get, man. It's like seven lands in a row. The thing is, sometimes it's good to take lands away, right? Because let's say they need lands, right? But whatever I do when I have Robo, it if they are only lands on it, it takes away the next land and they get the best card. Like it's literally always in the way that is the best for the opponent, and I, I cannot play that card. I'm legit said recently on stream, I'm gonna burn a robber live on stream soon. <laughs> <laughs> like, please, I should really hate that card. <laughs> I love it, man. Telling it like it is here on the Arena Crap Podcast. So speaking of your stream, Danny, first of all, just wanted to welcome you back to streaming. I know you took a little break, and it was super epic. I just by chance happened to catch you firing up your stream uh when you you know your your epic comeback stream that you did uh cgb of course delivered an awesome raid and uh so just really really cool to have you back on the silver screen here danny yeah thanks uh, i i took a break in january i uh, needed to sort a lot of things out uh, winter fatigue uh, like multiple things obviously it's a hard life and working and streaming and all that thing and then i started the stream and i have to say i was nervous uh, i was really nervous like hopefully people are going to watch me again hopefully they d- didn't forget me right and then literally 10 minutes in and i was not even prepared i was like just here sipping on my drink you know like what should I play? And then, bang, CGB raids me. I was like, oh my god, I already have to go in here. That was really amazing, and thanks, brother, for, for doing so. It was my pleasure, and uh, I was excited to do it. There were people in my chat, like, 10, 15 minutes before I ended my stream, being like, Danny, Danny's on, Danny's on, Danny's on! You know, it's like they were very excited. So, That's cool. uh, you know, in general, the, uh, in general, it's a pretty good community on Twitch, and they do follow a lot of the same streamers, which I think is something a lot of people don't realize that a lot of us are using the same viewer base kind of over and over. Uh, so the more we, I, I think a lot of new streamers think that they have to like carve out their viewers, but honestly, most of us are sharing viewers all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's important to encourage other streamers because you want your viewers to stay engaged with magic when you are not live. Like the, like that's just an important thing. You don't want them running off to new games. You don't want them running off to, you know, finding uh, life outside of magic. You want them to still be <laughs> in the magic vortex as long as possible, quite honestly, because you need to have this thing in common or they're not going to watch you eventually. So yep. uh, finding other streamers who can entertain uh, the people that you're entertaining and do a great job doing it and have like their heart and mind in the right place isn't always easy but it's worth trying to do that and it's worth remembering who can do it well you're one of the good ones so super happy send some folks your way so you i mean it all started right i mean literally last year in february you gave me the first rate 
around the same time I did my comeback. Maybe it was even the same day, I need to check that, which is hilarious if I think about it. It's like literally one year later, I restart my Steam and BAM! CGP rates me. Um, but yeah, you're completely right, and I also think it's super important that you do rate and you do show love to other streamers just to grow the community itself, right? Because I think, like, if you, if as more streamers are known for people, it benefits everyone because they may be like, hey, this community is so good and tell a friend and then it just becomes bigger and bigger. And that's, I think, that's why I also shout out everyone like, hey, there are this people and this people and, you know. Really cool, man. It's really cool to see you back. And I think you showed up just in time for the, you know, the release of Kaldheim to help pave the way in the format. So let's say that's a good transition for us. One of the reasons I wanted to invite you on the show, Danny, was that you've been doing some really good brewing in Kaldheim. And um, it's really cool, actually. I feel like we have, like, Kovac Go Blues, a best of one master. And Danny, I think of you as, like, a real best of three master on, on the competitive ladder. So I think this will be a good opportunity for us to really get into the standard metagame right now and, and what's happening. So, I, you know, I think maybe an interesting thing might be for us to just quickly discuss some of the brews that you've tried in the format over the last couple of weeks. I, I've seen you doing a lot of experimentation and, you know, having mostly success, but, but mixed results. And, you know, you've actually popularized a couple of archetypes on the ladder. So if, if you hate any of these decks we're about to talk about, you can go and complain about them in Danny's chat on his Twitch stream. So Danny, what are the things that you've tried so far in the format? And I'd love to hear a little bit of your thoughts about, about that process and how it's been going. Um, as usual, when a set start, right, it's like, it's, it's open. No one has, no one knows what's going on. So the first things uh, people do without brewing a completely new deck is looking at old archetypes and see how you can improve them. Um, so I always try to do that, but don't, uh, but not going into like the super good decks. Uh, I try, okay, mutate could be something. There's Toski, we can mutate there, maybe that works. And like Koma has the same colors can get hit by Sterics, and uh, this is what I try to do. Okay, those two card works in this archetype, and I just do that like one day, and I check everything, what, what could be possible, and research, and obviously I also try the new mechanics that could be possible as well, but usually when a new mechanic comes out, and if it's not completely busted, like uh, Adventures, for example, it's hard to build a deck around it only. Um, there are like cards that work well in a different archetype and this is what I try. And then in the first week it's, it's just brewing whatever you can and whatever you find out and and then it, there's a meta. Uh, there's the first meta, there's like a pseudo meta where um, two or three decks maybe come out as a winner and then the real fun starts because if there's a meta you can actually build against the meta. And until the cycle completes then you can still brew. And if the cycle completes at one point, then you have a meta, and then there's maybe like one or two anti-meta decks. It's, it's a really complicated process that develops over time. Um, but I love the second and third week the most because you can target the decks that are really good right now. Let's say we cast it in the F2K tournament, right? And you saw like mono white, mono red. And I was like, well, that's going to be played next week for sure, right? Let's think about decks that work against this. And then you build like a Sorius Blink put me like up to number 15 or something like this and then people start maybe playing that and think okay that is a thing and then they try to conquer this and I'm like next day I'm already prepared for this right and then you just keep doing this and then you build Luca and this and it's a cycle it's just a cycle 
It's, it's just how it works, and I think it's the same in best of one, right, CGB? Oh, it's even more, it's even more uh, predictable, I would say, in best of one, because there are certain decks that will always be played, which are like the most aggressive or the most budget friendly. So mono red, mono white, and rogues will just always be played. You can't sideboard hate them out the same way without getting very extreme. But once you know the builds that people are running, like the F2K builds from that featured Faceless Haven, believe it or not, not everybody looked at the new set and was like, okay, I'm taking my Shatter Skull Smashings and Castle Embreaths out of mono red for Faceless Haven and Snow Lands. In fact, most people didn't. And uh, now on ladder, it's much more likely that if you run into mono red or mono white, probably over 90%, that they will have Snowlands and Faceless Haven. So once you figure out what the build is that you're tuning against, then you can work on beating it and you can be a lot more successful. I know a lot of players that really don't enjoy the first weeks of the format because they pull out last week's deck or whatever, but it was tuned for all these certain matchups and now they don't know what they're playing against because everybody is doing all this weird stuff. So they're losing and they don't really know why. But as soon as you have a target, as soon as it's like, okay, it's snow red and it's snow white. Well, now I'm running blue white and we're running Arcana Sun's Grace because they have very few ways to get rid of it. And we're running Field of Ruins so that when they go for Faceless Haven, it's not a good look. And we run the right cards that interact with them well, like Brazen Borrower is much better against mono white than a lot of other things. So uh, once you get that kind of stuff right, then it feels like the real game begins, which I think is a lot of what you're talking about in Best of Three. The difference in Best of One is it's so repetitive. Like you, you face these decks so many times in the exact same builds that when you do get some, when you do figure out some ways to pick up points, percentage points here and there, it makes a big difference. Like you, you suddenly start going on win streaks that are very hard to get in best of one, six, seven, eight games in a row that rank you up really fast on ladder. And those are a lot harder to get in an open field when you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I agree. And I think what I usually like to do is I like to go more mid-range in the first week and try the mid-range combo things because it punishes aggro and the control decks are usually really hard to play in a meta that where you have no idea what's going on, right? It's hard to tune that. So mid-range first week, if you want to go fast and ladder, is the best way to do. Okay, cool. So we've discussed some of the generalities of these first couple of weeks. I would love to talk about some specific deck lists that we've kind of seen like rise up and maybe fall off. So, you know, I wanted to start with you, Danny. I know that you did like a lot of brewing at the beginning of the format around cards like Coma. I know that was kind of a favorite of yours. You were playing like wet gruel lists and, uh, you know, Tima, you're doing a lot of Tima. So I'd be interested to hear your reflections on, you know, those Coma lists, the wet gruel lists, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So the coma I played first in the semi-mutate list, um, I thought if there will be mid-range, there's no deck that can compete with mutate because it can go over the top as a creature deck. And there shouldn't be a way to deal with coma in a mid-range centric meta because that card just takes over the board and it's over at that point. Um, so I think coma is a really cool card. Um, it's hard to deal with. You need exile, but right now the control decks play all the exile removals. So it, the card is not as well positioned, but in the beginning I really liked that card. And the Wet Gruel was always one of my favorites, um, because I lost the tournament in Japan to the uh, Wet Gruel deck once, and then I had to had to take this my own. Um, 
I just like that dragon there. The, the Goldspan dragon looked so well to me. And playing that with Adventures, I was like, that could be the way to go. Two mana Bone Crusher, two mana Brazen Borrower. Seems good to me. And especially with like two counters main and stuff, it's it felt really good. And later on, there was the Isid list as well that tried to do this. And I mean, yeah, I love green and blue. And then I tried the, the Nexus stuff because there's nothing better for Gandalf than saying nope to an opponent's turn. That's literally the peak Gandalf tier list, uh, not countering a spell, countering an entire turn. That's usually how you do it, right? And so I experimented around with the Simic Nexus list and it was super fun. And like two days later, me and Chris Portella, I'm not sure, uh, is a Rivals player. And we were talking in voice and played games together on the ladder with Isset just to see how it goes and made the video. And I was talking, I was like, dude, I made a Simic Nexus list, you made this list. This should be actually together, should be really good. So I did it for me and he did it for him and this version was better in the end. And uh, that was the team returns list you all see right now, which is which is kind of funny how how those decks sometimes uh, happen, right? And yeah, which just just as a side note for any of our listeners who aren't on Twitter or don't follow Chris Patello, he did hit number one on the ladder playing that list. So it's yep. I mean the list is legit. They know it was my video today. There you go. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Yeah. 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 He, he's a great guy, and and he always likes the same deck as me. So we back in the team of reclamation day, we used to ride a lot with each other and like we should try this card and let's try escape in the wilds in record like every every card you could try to fit in a deck like this we tried and i knew he's the person to go to if you want to see a new team build and there we are right there's a new team build he tuned it perfectly and yeah so for me the best lists i think that came up are like the team lists and the toski list right now they're fresh they're still fresh they still try to get their spot in the meta um, and I think there's a place for Toski for sure. Um, not sure which is the best build, best build, but Naya looks good, Celestia looks good, and Bunt looks good. So let, let's focus in on this a little bit then. Let's start with the Team of Turns deck. Give us just like a brief synopsis of how the deck expects to play out, what the game plan is, and then maybe just a few of your thoughts about how it's lining up with the current matter. Okay, so as I mentioned, the first problem was that Isset had no real way to deal with a fast deck. It was really problematic the moment Mono White and Mono Red came on the meta that this deck was too slow to deal with all the threats to finish opponent. Yeah, but and now, just to add yeah. on to that, in Best of One this was absolutely apparent because those decks never left Best of One. The Isset deck yeah. was almost unplayable there. Yeah. But uh, go ahead, I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, that makes totally sense, yeah. And... What Chris was thinking is, okay, well, you should just play Lost Rock Beast because Lost Rock Beast and Edward Innkeeper, since you already play Bone Crusher and Brazen Borrower, are like the perfect fit. There's like, it is perfect. And since you're green, um, you can actually play Gargroth. So the difference between his list and mine, I had Gargroth main in the first week because I was like I'm gonna just play Gargroth if you play Mono White and Mono Red I play that card and good luck to you uh, obviously it was not the best choice but it's still the perfect card for the sideboard and this is why Teamer is I think really well positioned now because it can win against every Agra deck with the Lovestruck Beast Borrower and Bone Crusher combination while drawing cards from Edward Innkeeper and having an insane late game with your Hench Dragon and extra turns 
and it plays blue, which means you can also deal with ultimatums. So this is one of those decks that can go against everything. Yeah. And when you say late game, like it, it kind of exists, but it kind of doesn't. Because my experience with the deck was just stay alive and set up until turn five, drop dragon, attack, counter their next spell or whatever they try to do about it, untap, cast epiphany, attack with dragon, buy obosh, cast obosh, attack for lethal. Like it, it, it closes just like that. There isn't yep. really a late game. You just take the last like yep. two turns of the game and spend them bet hitting the opponent with the dragon, no. and then you're done. The ability to play a card from dragon is so powerful, and tapping out while not tapping out is something we saw before, and that card got banned. And we're talking about reclamation here, right? And it's so funny that Chris lost that card because. He's like the Reclamation player, and it's basically the same, just in a creature. Not as much mana, but, I mean, after two turns, if that card sticks, good luck. Yeah, and also that the Teferi ability of the dragon to let you leave up, like, a two-mana counter spell. It was perfect, especially with the reintroduction of cards like Disdainful Stroke into the format. Uh, also plays totally fine with cards like Zhuari Disruption, if you're keeping those in your deck. Um, and, of course, Negate, which never stopped being a good card. So, yeah, I just, I feel like it lines up, and especially, like, if you have Borrower in your deck, you know, and Bone Crusher, those are just two other really excellent options. So, so if you go down the list, right, you just have, like, so many things to do with that extra mana, which I love. Yeah, I think the deck is definitely well positioned. Um, it's so hard to make a, a perfect tier list right now, but... It's definitely in the first or second tier. Um, I what are think. you talking about? I made a perfect tier list on Tuesday. It was really good on Tuesday. And, and, and now, <laughs> now there's like three other decks that aren't yeah. even on it that are doing well. So yeah, actually, that you're completely right. <laughs> it, it, that's the hard part, right? You can make a snapshot of the meta. Oh yeah, I made a perfect tier list Tuesday. It was useless today. Useless. You sleep, wake up, and then suddenly the meta is different, right? That's how it works in Arena. So you always have to be there and, and know what's going on to to attack it attack it attack it should be my stream every day could just be make the tier list of the day that that that's there's your content easy yeah you could do that easy and it's funny because as long as this process happens though it's great right this is where it's great well, I just, to, to put a bow on this Tima list, I think one of the main things I love about it, which both of you have kind of emphasized, is just that it has game against aggro and it has game against ultimatum lists. And any deck that can say that in this current format is, is going to be reasonably well positioned, I think. So, yeah, I, I really love this. Being able to bring in Mystical Dispute is such a hoser against the Ultimatum. That's, it's like, I've played so much Ultimatum, I was on that deck from the beginning of the format, and anyone who main decks Counterspells is like the nightmare scenario for, for that deck. The Ultimatum is in such an interesting spot in the meta, because it obviously has to get target, because it's a, I play the card and I win situation, where it is really hard to come back from, and... In the Japanese meta, which is, I think, like a week ahead. I mean, me and Andre talked about this in my stream. I think it's like a week ahead, usually. And they played the Gruul and Boris list with an island and miscast to the sideboard, for example. Just for, because right now the mana base is basically play eight pathways, play four passages, and then just play an island. And there's you always have an island if you want, right? And I really like to see that. And... To have this possibility makes it so so good for aggro and mid range right now. Actually, yeah, totally. Yeah, that the combination of 
fast pressure and then disruptive counter magic is just so good, so good. If I play aggro, I love that. That's the way the gruel list I usually played, right? They have the gruel splash blue for that reason, and I sprinkle the science in it because I always love uh, this card. It's just pet so pet good. card of yours, yeah. It's one of my pet cards, yeah. Three mana planeswalk with a tons of loyalty. Hurt. I heard that used to be good once, so I think uh, it should be still good. If if only the plus one made an elk though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of these planeswalkers is not like the other one that was printed in the same set. <laughs> not exactly. It's actually interesting to me how when I when I'm thinking about or discussing how the meta was going. And I'm thinking like, oh, counter magic's good and aggro is good and whatever. It does kind of segue perfectly into these Toski decks because I, I yep. feel like Toski has really emerged in in this meta game. And you look down that card and you're like, hmm, can't be countered. Hmm, indestructible. Draws a lot of cards. This card might be really good in the meta right now. So let's talk about like, wh where did the Toski idea come from and, and what have you been doing with it? So, maybe like two weeks ago, it was an early thing, a build I had, and I called it Naya White. And it had no Toski back then, but it had the Clarence, it had the, the Sentinels in it. And the Sentinel Clarence turn felt always so amazing if you have four creatures turn two. That is just so powerful, right? And back then I played all the Redain's main to counter the Extinction events to just win the game. But the problem is you usually get dry a bit and you need skulls. And then I was like, well, that Toski card feels so good if you resolve it, but you have already a board. And the first deck I tried was actually Bunt with Fay of Wishes, two main and two counters main. And that's where it came from. Like, I think me and Drum TV played also together once and we saw a Toski somewhere. I was like, that card, it has to be, be playable, right? And then I started testing and then I found the deck, Celestian deck as well, that used to play it. Um, that was around the same time when I built my deck. And I was like, yeah, there's room for it. There has to be room for it. And then it was time to figure out which is the be best color combination. And as CGB mentioned, like Crookies tried the Naya. I tried this on my stream as well. Um, we had a little bit of a different version, but I mean, it seems to be really good. Yeah, You have endless cards. But the worst card, literally the worst card for Naya is Ugin. So if that deck becomes popular, I can tell you guys now, Ugin is a card that works amazingly well against those decks, because it doesn't run haste, and it's really bad. You are forced to play cards like Spyglass or like uh, Bindings, and you do not want to play those cards in those decks. So Ugin could be the next shift again. Yeah, well, and I, as someone who's been running Ugin in my Sultai deck, I can tell you that with there are just a few tweaks that you can make to the Sultai deck to incorporate cards like Ugin fairly seamlessly. If you run, you know, so one thing that I've been doing, for example, is running the Demon, uh, the six mana Demon, and you you play that as one of your ultimatum hits, um, and then you know you can actually pull up the Ugin, you know, with that card if you want. So there's, there's like. You can also do stuff like running Fair of Wishes to snatch it out of the sideboard. So there's just a, there's a lot of ways that you can easily incorporate a card like Ugin into like these already existing powerful decks. So I guess that's a really good insight, something for people to be looking out for a little bit. There's also a deck that I think could get popularity, but it's still under the radar, and it's a Soul Talist. 
Uh, I mean, Sulta Adventure always existed, right? So Sulta Adventure, I mean, let's say it was there, but it was never good. Um, but the ability to actually play a Sulta list and have you ultimatum in the sideboard and snatch it if you really need it is actually really good because you still have a lot of mana, you still do, do all your things, but you also have your Edward Innkeepers and your Lovestruck Beast and you have all those tools as well. So that list could be something that can be explored maybe in the next days, depending how the meta goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the beauty right now. There, It's still not finished and you can come up with something new and CGB has to keep doing his uh, tier lists. <laughs> Well, so let me ask you about the CGB. Have you seen Toski making a splash on the best of one ladder? Because I've been playing Toski in best of one and it has been slaying. It's just been slaying the best of one ladder when I've played it. I don't think I've played against it. Like, I don't think it's come down against me once. Hmm. Interesting. I, like I said, once if you're if you get to best of one mythic, the opponents become really predictable, like very, very predictable. So I guess that's one of the reasons that I have fun with what I do, because I usually play something at least a little bit different, depending on how you define different. I, I get about, you know, I get hate on every video because it's a Yorian deck or an adventure deck. But I mean, things don't have to change a lot to be different, really, and make a big difference in various matchups. So I'm sure that the Toski deck is going to probably mean that card shows up a bit um, because like... Really, people just need... I think they need an indicator that this is not just okay, like that you can do this, and then they're happy to try things. But for the most part, even something as simple as putting a rank in the corner makes people like think twice about veering away from the safe choice. It's almost like tournament deck selection every single day for some people, whereas for me, it's all about the variety, and I want to change it up, and I'm always looking for the next thing. I'm sure Danny is the same way, but I think most people need almost permission to do that or or a, or a nudge to do that to get them to play less mono white or less mono red today because the fear of like losing a few percentage points outweighs the possible reward of finding something new and exciting. So I think Toski will be there. I think it's about to show up. It, it has to come. I mean, Gandalf's pet will be there for sure. Um, it's just uh, a great card. Four mana, draws cards, creature, indestructible. Can't be countered. Looks beautiful, by the way. The card is an amazing card. And yeah, I hope it will be there as well. I feel like Toski got a bumpy introduction to the format because people were putting it in all of these random Sultai decks and like these week one SCG decks. And I remember CGB and I on the podcast just looking at these deck lists and being like, really? Like Toski's, Toski's the sideboard card you're bringing in in this deck? And I mean, I, you know, I, I suppose there's a lot of conjecture as to how good that card is in the deck. But when I was looking at the card, I was like, don't we want to be going wide? Don't we want to be making flyers? Don't we want to be, you know, doing all of these other things that are already viable? And yeah, in like these mono white lists or even I, like I maybe feel a- like I, I feel like everybody looked at that and then said, but they just made three mana wrath Doomscar and gave up. And then we got two weeks into the format and wraths aren't good. The only good, the only deck that is playing the Wraths are the Exile ones, like Shadows Verdict and Extinction Event. And the white decks and red decks started beating that deck anyway, despite all the Shadows Verdicts and Extinction Events because of Faceless Haven and because of good deck construction, pacing, and a lot of card advantage and advantages built in. So now it's like 
going wide can happen. It's going to happen because the Wraths aren't good. And the decks that play them are getting dumpstered by the other aggro decks. So now, wait a minute, go wide and we play Toski, and now that thing's possible. You don't have to give up on it anymore. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting. I think the deck that had the most influence on, on this meta is actually the Mono White list. The Mono White list um, has creatures that are really hard to deal with, with traditional Wrath effects. So people opted for the Exile and they cannot hit everything and you can play around it in the Havens. Uh, but the deck struggles with going white. Let's say you play your deck, you have no card advantage, you try to win the game as fast as you can with Mono White. And on the other side, there's a Clarence Spirit that makes like a block for each turn. And then, uh, cool. Well, nice. I attack you with a flying 5-3 first strike. I block with a 1-1. And then this happens every turn, and at one point you just you just lose because there's like an army of cards, and I think that is that is one of the main reasons why I actually opted for uh, Toski. And it's always you look at the deck that is most popular, and then you say, um, well, that is definitely possible now. And then it works great against the, I think it works great against Timur as well, um, because the Toski was in a sideboard usually against the Isid deck. That was like the Tosky tech, because if that card is on the field, you have to bounce it. That's that's it. That's the way to deal with it. Yeah, and as, as a player, it's like, mm, not not nice, right? Well, and, and the, the whole thing about the rats is it's such a bind, right? Because, so what's your opponent supposed to do? If you're playing a board, you're going wide. You know, they can Shadow's Verdict, but that's going to leave the Toski. And so, you know, and especially if you have like a, a, a Maul of the Skyclaves or whatever, it's like, cool, you're still going to get clocked for three in the air and your Toski opponent's going to just draw into more dorks. And then, you know, if you play Extinction Event, cool, like that might take out the Toski and half your opponent's board, but they still have their Lovestruck Beast there. I mean, they're just still ready to go and keep clocking yeah. you. And then they play the next Toski. Attack again, new hand. That's do it. it again. I can do it again as well. That's it. The, the sweetest thing I got to do today was I had two Toskis and I mutated each of them with a gem razor. No. Because, so, you know, because you can get around the legend rule, right? Yeah. So I had two 4 4 trampling Toski gem racers yeah. and a wide board. So I'm drawing two cards for every hit that hits the opponent. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. It's great. Yeah. It was really it's nice. really great to mutate, yeah. I just so I love these these like Clarion Spirit Tosky decks because they just they like they play so well with adventures they play you know they play so well with the showdown right it's like it really does just fit nicely into a lot of these decks ensuring that you don't just draw a million cards you draw a billion cards. There's one card I would love to see more in those decks and I think I mentioned it to Autumn because she was playing also a Tosky deck and she liked the idea and this is Cholrel. This is the perfect card for this deck. I don't know why people are not playing a two of Chol. I, I do, and it won me so many games alone. Because if you play, let's say in the mirror, and you have a Chol rail, and you say, "Well, I attack you with twenty six six, your turn, right?" It's just so different because you usually have a full hand That's due a really to Toski. You draw so You draw cards. a card yeah. due to Toski. You have adventures. You draw your cards. That's all you need. That's all you need. And I think that's the perfect addition to that deck that breaks maybe the mirror. And I think people should uh, include it in Toski list if the meta becomes more Skrill-focused. I can't believe you just said that. 
I wanted you know, I so was, bad. I was around the last time there was a squirrel-focused meta. It was a squirrel. The combination was Squirrel's Nest and Opposition. Oh and my this god! This was God. What was this from? This was Odyssey. the first Odyssey. madness set. Odyssey. Odyssey. Yep. Odyssey. That's yep. how long ago this was, and it got outclassed by freaking Psychotog Upheaval. But I mean, I was around for the first squirrel meta and. Dang it! I'm around for this one. That is how. That is when I started playing the game with with the squirrels. Um, maybe, maybe that is where my love for the squirrel comes from. But because it wasn't uncommon back then, so it was affordable for me as a, a little kid, right? I was like oh, squirrel yeah. nest. That card. I need those cards, dude. I just turn one birds of paradise. Turn Ooh, two yeah. squirrels nest. Enchant my land. This now made it so you could tap your land to create a one one squirrel at any time. Turn three opposition, which meant you could tap any creature you had to tap any permanent of the opponents. And then from the rest of the game, you're just making squirrels and tapping down something of theirs every turn. It was Beautiful. it squirrel prison is what it should have been called. You just lock them in a prison of squirrels where they never get to do anything. It was beautiful. What a beautiful deck! Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful deck. It's like the most CGB deck I can imagine. <laughs> it was nuts. so good, so good. Yeah, I remember I played it as well, and I played Psychodog as well. Those are the two decks I played because the Psychodog is uncommon as well, and it's just every counter and removal I had, I just smashed in, and then I got my hands on the Shadow Mage Infiltrator, and then I was happy. I was really happy. So we've we've kind of been dancing around these Naya decks, and I wanted to make sure that we discussed Naya a bit before the podcast is over, because, you know, this has been a real... It's kind of interesting, the last time CGB and I really focused on Standard, we were talking about how Showdown of the Skulls was a bit slow, and how it was feeling like these Naya decks were kind of struggling to get there. But I feel like these recent innovations with, like, the Unleash Fury combo, for example, I don't know, I feel like people have really leveled up Naya over the last week or so. Um, I know that Crokies has been on the forefront of that, and I was I was curious, because I know Danny, you know, you do a lot of deck building with Crokies, I'm curious if you were kind of involved in that conversation as well. So, the I mean, I can talk about the original roots of the Naya Fury deck, and that was CFT something on Twitter. And he reached number one with Naya Fury. And Andrea Mengucci picked the deck up. And I was like, whoa, okay, that is actually a really good deck. So I wanted to test it, and I tested it myself. But it was the best deck for Skulls, in my opinion, I ever saw. Because you find your combo pieces. If you just see, if you just Skulls turn four and you see a Dragon and the Fury, and you're like, hmm, okay, my next turn going to be amazing. And... That is where it's, uh, there's no other deck where it's as good as in that deck because skulls can actually be slow. That is a true fact, and that is still the case in some decks. But in that deck, it is just amazing, yeah. And so I made a video about that deck as well, and it was my, my most viewed video because I made it that day I saw the, the list of. I hope I, I, I don't know the name exactly, but he just bruised decks sometimes, and he went number one with this, with this combination. And some of my viewers were like, did you see this list? I got crushed by a crazy combo. It was like, way you go. So he played that from really early on, that person. And that's how the deck came on the, on the radar. And Naya there, yeah, it's Naya is definitely around there. Adventures are really strong, especially Giant Killer is amazing. Um, removal, tapping, one mana, draw cards, I, I, one, two body. I feel, just like side note, I feel like this format is really highlighting the power of that card. And I have this feel like, why haven't we been playing Giant Killer? Maybe it's just because the white decks have been different, right? But but I, but I, I, it's like every time I see Giant Killer, it's just amazing. It's such a good card. 
I had four in my blue white Yorian deck from last season, and people thought it was thought that card was weird. Like it was, you know how Chad is. If it's not something they saw in the MPL weekly, they they immediately are like, cut that card, you know. But like, it was good last last time because everybody was trying to get their henge down, uh, and it only got better here. I played it also in the blue-white deck in the beginning of last year, in 2020, where I played like the PTQs and top 8 and all the PTQs from a blue-white control deck with the Fairy and Chankill and Cyport. You needed that because of the Triceratops, for example, and you just needed a way to deal with certain cards, and it's still a creature that taps down, and, and as a control deck, it's perfect. And now in the aggro deck, it's also perfect, because, well, I can tap this creature and this, and then I swing and I win, or I get rid of this, next turn I play it. And the adventure creatures go also so well with the Clarion, right? Because you have one card to spell. It's just beautiful. Um, and the artwork, design of that card is next level. A little kid slaying a, a real, real big giant. I mean, that card has to be good. Well, it's also, it just happens to be particularly annoying against what's good right now. You know, like in an equipment matter, for example. So you have these creatures getting ember cleaved and wearing sky malls so that the power is going up, making it more likely you're going to be able to kill them with the, with the adventure side. And then, you know, once the tapper comes down, you know, tappers are like the worst nightmare for equipped creatures. You know, you're like spend three to re-equip my frickin' Ember Cleave and then just tap it down, you know? So, yeah, it's it's so brutal to play against as an aggro deck. Yeah, I remember the stream where I figured out against white you just want to play the 1-2 because, like, if you try to chop it down, they're going to Alseed, they're going to Selfless Savior, they're going to discard and save their Hollow Blade, you know? But if you just play the 1-2 and then tap whatever the Sky Maul is on, like, you're fine. This is okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, so perfect there. There's like a lot of oh, and tapping Goldspan Dragon is often a lot better than targeting it, and may work much more reliable than targeting it. Yeah, it's so hard to deal with the Goldspan Dragon, and if you if you use the the chop down right, and they just shelter it, it feels so bad. If you lose that card, it's just horrible. And target the Goldspan Dragon is just it feels so bad. Like that's one of the worst feelings. Uh, well, I give you mana if I do it, but I have to do it. So, like, Run Afoul is one of those cards that can actually work, right? It's literally the only card you can have the sideboard for this certain matchup, but the card is dead against Teamer because of the 1-1 tokens, and it's just, it's just, it's a really wild Wild West here right now, and it's just, but it's really great. You know what feels the best? When you have a Saw It coming in Foretold, and you play a Goldspan Dragon, and you move to combat, and your mono-red opponent has two red open, and they tap the first one and cast Frostbite. Oof. Targeting your dragon. I would like to have some mana place here. Thank you. Ooh. And, and you're, you just know they're going to do another one. Oh. And you know it, what's going to happen next. And so it's going to be great. <sighs> beautiful. Yeah. I'm happy with the meta. And I'm looking forward to what the next hot card will be next week. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I keep saying it on these shows, but I just feel like the meta is so far from solved. I love it how you have these janky looking cards like Toski, like Koma, who, you know, I've been ragging on Koma and people are still playing that card and getting great results with it. And so I, I just love that all of this kind of stuff really is viable in the format. And yeah, it's a, it's a brewer's paradise right now. Anyone who's been disengaged from standard, I would really just recommend you brush off your adventures and, and jump back in because... 
It's I'm I'm honestly having more fun playing. Like the last time I enjoyed Standard this much was probably when I discovered the Teamer Adventure list last year. That was another meta where like things were just changing all the time and control was duking it out with adventure and it's just such a an interesting meta and I just I feel like it's it's like that this time around. I, I love your memory of it. Control is duking it out with adventure. It was control is getting dumpstered by adventure and that's why you liked it. <laughs> yeah. Back then control was like, I'm gonna count your card. Well I already drew another card by the way from Apple Link Cuber. So that trade and I'll, was and in I'll my also favor. copy I'll also copy yeah. the spell while I'm at it. Yeah. yeah. Nice counter. Nice counter control. Good wrath. Good, Super good fun. Work. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> good times, CGB. Those those are the best of times. They really were. <laughs> yeah. All right, fellows. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this show. So first of all, thanks so much for being on the show, Danny. The prodigal son returns. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, first of all, thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, they can just find me on twitch.tv slash Law. Um, also on YouTube, Danny T. Law Gaming. Let's talk about your YouTube channel just a little bit, because I feel like you've been really growing that. So what, what can people expect going to your YouTube channel? So people can expect me playing um, Best of Free Bruce or Meta decks on the ladder in Mythic usually, and also invite people that are famous for certain decks and I try to play the deck with them for their perspective or to explain why they do certain things like with rivals player um, or with like just really good tournament grinders like Romti and I have multiple other peoples in the pipeline right it's just just to have their view because I, I have like a broad view of certain things and it's so nice to hear like their perspective because they're so experienced with a certain archetype that it gives like additional information and if you play with two hats you, you think of so many lines and just compare the different lines it's i think really interesting to see um i think people enjoy that and that is what i usually do i and i want to i want to piggyback that because first of all you've posted a video every day for the last seven good job i know the daily thing is is tough especially with full-time employment elsewhere so Glad to see it. Uh, I've been enjoying those videos. And the second with the co-pilot thing, I've recently kind of discovered how much fun that is because I am terrible at sealed, but the arena open was sealed and the next qualifier is sealed. And I partnered with MTG Nerd Girl, uh, who I've just been doing some co-pilot videos with like once a week. And it's actually really fun and it's really good to get other perspectives so i just want to say those are very cool and i'm sure that arjuna is going to tune in to see what green mage extraordinary rum tea has to say about mono green in the current meta aren't you arjuna aren't you aren't you okay so let me let me tell you a story about arjuna's recent experience with mono green so i was actually streaming i was streaming probably just salt eye or something like that and out of the blue, boom, I get raided by Rumty. But Rumty is super sweet streamer, wonderful human being, just devilishly good mono green player. Um, so if you're not currently following Rumty, go ahead and do so immediately. So anyway, so Rumty raids and you know, I'm like, what were you playing, Rumty? As if I didn't know the answer. And then, so Rumty's like, yeah, playing the latest version of Mono Green Aggro. And I was like, ship the list. Let's try it out. You know, let's let's try it out. So, you know, I played Mono Green on that stream. I probably went like four and one or something. I was like, oh, this is this is feeling good. You know, maybe we can maybe we can do this again. So I fire up, 
you know, arena the next day. And I'm like, all right, we're back, baby. We're back on the mono green. And within, it's like literally within seconds, I'm begging the top of my deck for lands. I'm just begging the top of my deck for lands. And I'm like, oh, like I'd, I'd forgotten what this feels like. You know, I'd forgotten what having a handful of <laughs> oh three drops God. and two forests on the battlefield feels like. You got in that Saltai life where you have like over 50% of your deck either fetching lands or being lands. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, it's exactly. so, like, it takes a level of faith to play that deck that I just don't know that I have anymore, man. I, I was remembering in the past season when I remember Crokies was going on his run with Mono Green, and I think at one point he was up to like 26 lands in that deck, you know, when a lot of other people were playing 22. Yeah, I start with 26. Dude, and I remember <laughs> I, I remember looking at his list, and that, like, I, I looked at that the lands, and I was like, Crokies gets it. You know, I was like, Crokey's freaking gets it. Because like, if you play on curve with mono green, you usually win. You can usually pull out a game if you manage to cast your spells. But boy, it's so punishing when you when you don't draw those lands. So I was like immediately off it. No Pelt Collector, no Barkhide Troll. These two drops suck. My deck is all three drops and I can never draw my lands. So anyway, so that, that was the end of that particular story. Rumty is a, is a magician and still manages to win with it. But what, what do you think, Danny? <laughs> it's so funny the way he uh, describes the two drops. He's like, yeah, the two drops are not good. They are bait. <laughs> so <laughs> the two go. drops are just there for the bait. So the two drop has to, uh, needs two qualities. Once, it has to be okay-ish for mana value, right? And it has, needs the potential to actually grow. So that's why you see the Beatles, and if they don't deal with the Beatles, well, that card can do damage, or the Ooze as well, right? So you need actually cards on two that are a threat that you turn three creature survives. That's the main goal. Like, he describes his entire logic, is it's so on point, it's incredible, huh? When I play it, I miss land, or I draw only land. I'm not good with curve out decks. It's just, you know, I'm also not that good with it. But seeing it from his perspective and when I played with him, it, it was really great. It was really great to see him. Yeah, so go go check him out if you want to see someone who draws better in mono green than I do. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. So, and yeah, go check out Danny's YouTube. I'm definitely going to be taking a look at that. It's, it's pretty exciting. So you can find the Arena Craft podcast on Spotify or on iTunes. We're on just about anywhere that you find podcasts. We are also on YouTube. I wanted to shout out our YouTube listeners. Been seeing really good engagement there lately. So thanks for everything you all do. Keep showing up. Keep calling the Arjuna man out and uh, we'll have some fun. Of course, uh, someone who doesn't want to hear your nonsense is Covert Go Blue. <laughs> so go go watch his YouTube channel. I mean, you're going to give him nonsense anyway, but let, let's be real about that. And uh, he's also streaming on Twitch. So go find him there. All right, fellows. Thanks so much for being on the show. And I will look forward to catching up with you in the future. Later. Later, crafties. Later, later. Later.